Whatever you plant, you may plant watermelons, but you don't get watermelons tomorrow or that day or the next day. It takes a little while for watermelons to grow. And one day in that season, the watermelons will show up if you plant them right. And just like sin, if you sow that seed of sin, you may not get busted, you may not get caught, it may not be found out until later, until that season, until it's ripe. What sort of seeds of sin are you planting right now? They may be small and seemingly insignificant, little missteps that you can't see any harm in. In today's message, Pastor Mark will remind you that any sin, no matter the size, is still sin. You can't hide it in the dirt, hoping no one will ever notice. One day, maybe a while from now, those seeds you planted will grow and become visible. Today is a great day to start fresh. Dig up those seeds of sin and confess them to God right now. He already knows about them, and He's already forgiven you. He wants you to take the step to remove them from your life permanently. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12 for today's edition of Come Alive. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he had said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. And now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun." So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. And then Nathan departed to his house. And so when we look at these verses, and we're sitting here and we think, Well, you know, for a whole year God did nothing. Well, it's not true. Somebody might even think that sin might pay for a little bit. And it does. Sin is fun. We've said it before. We know it's fun. I mean, it's not like David didn't enjoy doing what he did with Bathsheba. But all of a sudden, there was a price to pay. He had to cover up his sin. And to cover it up and cover it up. And we talked about sometimes God 
allows you to go through those correcting storms and you may cover it up and then one day it's found out and it seems like your whole world begins to unravel. And so God didn't just look the other way and just let it pass. One might think that sin even pays, but that's not the case. See, God made an amazing move to bring it to David's attention that God knew. The title of my message today is Four Three-Letter Words. Four Three-Letter Words. See, I don't ever think there was such a brief and effective confrontation ever than what Nathan has done. Many sins are carried out in secret. Sometimes too much privacy, too many closed-door policies are not always good if there's no accountability. These acts of David also were done willfully. He chose to do them. Nobody, you know, people always say, well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do anything. The devil just threw the bone out there, and you chased it. You went after it. And so... Again, none of them were momentary mistakes. None of David's sins were. He didn't stumble into the sin. He willfully walked right into them. And so maybe no one else noticed, but God did. And that's the thing is when you think nobody's looking, God is watching. And so God knew and he designed a strategy to bring David to his knees. In Galatians 6-7 it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And so, again, a while back we talked about whatever you plant. You may plant watermelons, but you don't get watermelons tomorrow or that day or the next day. It takes a little while for watermelons to grow. And one day in that season, the watermelons will show up if you plant them right. And just like sin, if you sow that seed of sin, you may not get busted. You may not get caught. It may not be found out until later, until that season, until it's ripe. And so don't think David was enjoying his time with his new bride for this first year, because if you turn to Psalm 32, this psalm is called a mesquil, and its root means instructions. It's a psalm designed to instruct. So if we'll turn there, if you'll turn with me to Psalm 32, verse 1, we'll look at that, and we'll see what David's talking about here. Psalm 32, verse 1 says... Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now listen to David's admission in verse 3. It says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Basically, he's saying here that there was a time when I wouldn't admit that I was a sinner, but I was. But my dishonesty made me miserable. It filled my days with frustration all day and all night. Your hand was really heavy on me, and my strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted that all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. Now back to 2 Samuel. Look at verse 1. It says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, And he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. See, God didn't send, when he. so when it tells us he sent Nathan, he didn't send an enemy. He sent a friend. He sent a friend to talk to him about his sin. He sent Nathan. Nathan didn't come on his own. Nathan didn't say, Oh, Dave, somebody I heard. Man, I was at the coffee shop. I was grabbing some food, and and I kind of overheard this thing that, Well, Uriah's dead, and there's this baby, and this guy knows that Uriah was at war, 
and doing battle. And so, you know, there's some talk around town that you're the dude. You're the man. And so it wasn't that. It was God. God told Nathan what to say. And God's timing is always incredible. When was he sent? Right after? No. After Bathsheba said she was pregnant? Nah. Not even then. And not even after Uriah was murdered or David had married Bathsheba. It was a while later. It's believed that a year had passed before Nathan showed up. And so God allowed David to stew a little while, just to kind of simmer in your own sin, so to speak. And sometimes that can happen to us. Maybe we've hidden something. Maybe there's something that you've hidden. I've talked to many people in, in different ministry situations, and one time, a long time ago, had said, well, you know, I've done this thing, and my husband doesn't know, and I can't figure out why I'm married. And it's like, wow, you're still hiding that sin. You're hiding that thing, and so you're wondering why your marriage is so rugged, so rough, why your husband treats you the way he does. And it could be all because maybe he doesn't know, but he knows something. Or maybe you're letting on like something is wrong. I don't know, but a lot of different pastors being there talking to this person said, hey, you know what, if you would just confess your sin before the Lord, ask the Lord if you should tell your husband about this thing, it might do more good than harm. And so fear plays a big role in that. A lot of times we're too afraid to admit, oh, but what will people think of me? That's not the concern. The concern is what does God think of you? What will God think of you? And so David gets to simmer for about a year. And so I have to say that there are times when I just can't figure out why God is slow to carry out what I think he ought to do. And you think about it sometimes, you look at the different things in the news, you're like, man, Lord, just punish them quick. But when I look back and see how awesome his plan is and how perfectly it came to pass, you begin to realize God doesn't only do the right thing, he does it the right thing at the exact right moment at the right time. And so in confronting someone in their sin, if maybe the Lord has that role for you, and maybe he'll tell you, hey, you know what, here's his brother. And I've been in that position where I sit there and I talk to somebody, and the Lord says, hey, ask him about this. And I'm just like, that's so weird. We're not even talking anything close to that. And I'll ask, and all of a sudden, that person will bow their head and be like, man. And after some time of just them looking ashamed and embarrassed and me just giving them the right words because my first reaction usually be like, what a bonehead. Why are you doing it? You know, the way I would treat myself. But the Lord says, no, no, gentle and kind. And here's this verse. And you give them that verse and they look up and they may have tears in their eyes or they may look sad and a little embarrassed, but still they're like, man, I'm so glad it's over. I had a friend in Albuquerque that had that happen to him. We busted him doing something, and I remember I was just like, oh, man. And I was out having a great time, and I felt like as I was messing around with my friends, we were playing kickball or something at the University of New Mexico, and I felt like the Lord said, go home and talk to this guy. And I remember I was like, that's so weird, but okay, Lord, I'll be obedient. And I left, and I had to walk home because we all drove in the same car, and so I was walking. It wasn't too far, and I was walking home, and I get home, and the door to the room that me and this guy had shared was closed, and I opened the door. I knocked on it, tried to open the door, knocked on it, and he got up, and I said, hey, man, I don't know, but I think the Lord wants me to talk to you about something. Is everything okay? And Yeah, everything's fine. It's all good. Cool. It's just weird that this is, I mean, this is real heavy on my heart. I don't know. I got a heavy heart about this, so can I ask what's going on? And as he admitted what his sin was, he again had said, wow, you know, dude, 
is so good. I'm so relieved that the Lord had you come. And it, he gave me the words. He gave me the verse on the way home. So I got home and I opened my Bible and said, hey, can I read this to you? I read it to him. And he just sat there and looked. He goes, dude, somebody gave me that verse this morning and just said, hey, I have a verse for you. I don't know what it means. And now this whole thing is starting to unfold. That, And I said, man, God cares for you. He cares a lot for you that he wants you to stop this. And he cried. And some of the other guys came home and, and we all prayed with him. And, he, you know, he didn't have to, but he did. He confessed his sin openly so he could have some accountability. And there was a, no more closed-door policy in that house. You couldn't close the doors if you were in a room by yourself, unless you were getting dressed, but you could do that in the bathroom. And so it was that type of thing. So timing is as important as the words. You know, just simply grabbing your Bible at your convenience and confronting someone may not always be the right thing. Be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit leads. So most of all, be sure that you were sent by God, that God wants you to. And maybe God just has you praying for that person. And and you can say that. Hey, man, is everything okay? I just want to pray for you. And that person may confess and open up a lot. And then you'll be amazed at the words and the passages that the Lord will bring to you. So not only does the time need to be right, so does the person. And so God sends Nathan. God sent Nathan to do this. No one else would say anything to the most powerful man in the whole kingdom, in the land. And I'm sure people were clued in. So Nathan has a pretty tough job to confront a king. And so Nathan obeyed immediately. And the way he did it was amazing. The story approach not only drew him in, but it also disarmed all the defenses of David. And it's sometimes just telling a story to relate so that person can relate to it. Look at verse 2. As he says, there were two men, this is the rest of verse 1, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. Verse 2, the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man, he had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And so David was in a very vulnerable spot at this point. The story kind of allowed him to be moved with compassion over the situation. And David actually will sentence himself. Look at verse 5. It says, And so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he had said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. Verse 6, and he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Maybe that story approach, I mean, when you talk to somebody about the story, you say, hey, there was a guy. And we all can relate to different stories. I have a story that relates to a lot of people who have the same story. And sometimes when you find out, they'll tell you, you're like, oh, yeah, I have this story I want to tell you. And you'll hear about how they're handling a problem. And sometimes the Lord will use your past experience, your story, to minister to someone else. And maybe you've done that and you've seen some great fruit from that. See, the sentence that David gives is very harsh. Our sins always look terrible on another person. Always. Always look horrible on another person. David stuck his whole head in that noose. And Nathan, all he did is just gave it a quick little tug. And with four three-letter words, you're the man. You're the man. That's all Nathan had to say. 
As a prophet, Nathan was required to confront sin, even the sin of a king, even David's sin. David, you're the man in the story. And I can just see David sitting there. And, you know, he just probably drops his head into his hands and rubs his face back and forth going, oh, man. With a blank look and his mouth dropped open, he had no clue anyone knew what he had done. But God knew. He never expected anyone, especially this trusted prophet, ever to confront him about this. It was all covered up. He thought. He thought. So this was the best thing in the world. It may not feel like it now, but it was. It may not feel good now, but it will. If anyone has ever had an infection and they had a lancet open to drain the infection, the lancing portion of that is very harsh and horrible feeling, but the healing process is great. It feels good after it's healed up. There's no more infection. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. Deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. Nathan was the very best person to do it. In Hebrew, Psalm 27, 6 says, Trustworthy are the bruises caused by the wounding of one who loves you. The one who loves you bruises you. Those lingering wounds are faithful. They're trustworthy because though it hurts, it may be needed. And that's good if when you cut yourself and the wound didn't hurt later after it got infected, if you had no feeling in that hand, then it would be very dangerous. You wouldn't know when infection would set in. And so feeling is good. God created pain so he could seek to help us. It tells us something's wrong. Pain allows us to seek medicine. It allows us to go after care. Medicine heals, and healing is what the body needs or it will not function the way it's supposed to. And so if the body doesn't heal, then it won't function the way it's supposed to. If there's a sinner in the body of believers, so to speak, metaphorically, and that person is just festering there, sometimes the body can't heal. The body can't do what it needs to do because, remember, we're all different parts. If your finger's got an infection, I've gotten bit or cut, I think it was bit by a dog once, and I'd gotten in my little finger. It was a little scratch. It looked just like something, just like a scrape, and it got infected. And see, when the infection began to set in and set in very quickly, I just thought I had heat exhaustion. I just thought I needed a long nap. And after a couple of days, my finger got fat, my hand began to throb, my arm was red, and I thought, well, you know, I work outdoors and I have sunburn. And so one day I just didn't feel good, and my wife said, why don't you go to the doctor? And I went to the doctor, and he comes in and he sees me, and his eyes get big, and he was like, take off your shirt. And I was like, okay, this is weird. You can't listen to my heart. And I took off my shirt, and there was this big red line that just kind of, he goes, if you'd have waited one more day, he goes, that blood clot would have gone to your heart. You could have died. Just one more day. And I was like, well, I called you two days ago, and this is the day you told me to come. You know, I mean, I was just waiting for you. And he goes, man, I'm glad you didn't wait one more day. I'm glad you made it. And so they gave me some antibiotics. I didn't know anything was wrong. I just thought, hey, I have a a little bit of an infection. I'll put some peroxide on it. I should be all right. I should be good to go. And it was just weird that one arm was red and the other one wasn't. But the medicine... Help the body. The medicine prevented death. And going to the physician helped. And sometimes we need to go to the great physician ourselves to say, hey, I, I need help. 
I've got this infection inside of me. And before it festers and it starts to travel throughout my body and cause death, Lord, I ask you that you cleanse me, that you will stop the infection. Sin is a bad infection. See, God cares enough to let the sting of confrontation begin the healing process. You are the man or you are the woman. See, sometimes that hurts when people tell you that you're the sinner. And Nathan says, the Lord has a message. Look at verse 7. It says, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Oh, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. And now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son in daylight. It's going to be done publicly. And so David's going to experience grief. He is going to be hurt. His heart will be broken. Grief in his own household. The sword shall never depart from your house. Turmoil and tragedy, rape and revenge. If you read ahead, you'll see all of that in David's house. And so he will have an uncontrollable son. A son who betrays him, who will actually drive him out of his own house and away from his throne. And maybe you're living in a situation of turmoil. Maybe it was one of those things you brought on yourself. And now you are in that correcting storm. And is, your sin has been found out and you don't like it. And so it's easy to remedy. It's called confess. Just confess to the Lord. Just repent. Turn from that thing. Oh, what next then? What's going to happen? Well, look at verse 12. Here's what happens. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. Though you did this, is is what he's saying is, and it's going to be found out. But here's what happens. We can ask for forgiveness and you can be forgiven. But a lot of people mix up forgiveness And think that, oh, okay, I'm forgiven and nothing's going to happen. But the consequences are still there. See, Bathsheba's still pregnant. And we know what happens because we read it. They're going to lose the baby. King David's story didn't end when he ascended the throne. He had finally achieved the promise God gave him. But his time on earth was far from concluded. He had to raise his family, lead a nation conquer the enemy, and continue to rely on his creator to sustain him. David didn't always do this with the grace and perfection we'd assume from a man after God's own heart. In fact, he frequently failed, giving in to temporary pleasures, neglecting what God had for him to do. Every time, though, David came back to his creator. He repented of his sins and renewed his commitment to God. God's forgiveness was real and available for David, and it is for you today, too. Have you been afraid to come to God because of your life choices? He wants to hear from you. He sees your heart and already knows of your sins and is waiting to offer you forgiveness if you ask. 
Tracy's here to tell you more about this. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503. Thanks, Tracy. We are so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.